good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. Before we jump into our message, I want to invite uh, Jerrica Parsley to come up. And Jerrica, yeah, you can give her a hand. Just give her a big hand. Jerrica is going to come and share with us a little bit about Cazone. Everybody say Cazone. Don't confuse it with a Calazone. It's a Cazone. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about Cazone. Okay, so I'm a little nervous. My first time under these big lots, but... When Rick first asked me to come speak about Cazone, I'm sure that he did not think that I would start off by saying that when I found out I was going to be participating in Cazone, so there's a group of us in the church who've already done it, and when I found out I would be participating, I was not looking forward to it. It was time added to my calendar, and as a working parent, time is my most limited resource, and it meant I needed to plan childcare for chunks of time, and I was just not looking forward to it. But I am very grateful now that I did it. And Cazone is a, it's going to be this Friday and Saturday. It's short videos, leader-led discussion, small table discussion, and personal reflection time to make you think about your past experiences, your core values, what's important to you, where God has called you. And at the end, it's very simple. You come out with a short person purpose statement, and now that I have participated, my purpose statement was to be a living example of God's love in the spaces where he leads me. So that has helped me with struggling with time in my calendar and away from my family because I can now make better decisions on how I spend my time because who is going to say no when I'm like, "Mm, that's not God's purpose for my life today. So, and it's also sent me to places where God has called me to be, and I've gotten to see where he is sending me to show his love to other people. So we really look forward to this Friday and Saturday. Please text PURPOSE to the number that will be on the screen later to sign up. And once you, there will be a link that you need to fill out, so because we'll have childcare and food. So please sign up and join us. All right. Thanks, Jerrica. She did a good job, right? So, and it, it has been so fun to watch her and all the other folks and executive team to not only be able to identify their purpose statement, but to see it at work in their lives. And so we even had a meeting just last uh, Tuesday and Jericho was saying, this is exactly my purpose statement. Like she was sharing an experience that she had, a celebration in her life. And then it was like, but that's exactly what your purpose statement says. So I hope that you will join us this Friday and Saturday. Listen, time is of the essence. Like it's, it's today. Today is the day. And so you need to pull the trigger and register today uh, for Kazone so that we can make sure that we have everything that we need this weekend. We can have enough lunch for you. We can have child care and enough of that for uh, children as well. So please don't hesitate to um, register and do that today. I'm looking forward to it. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I had a blast as well uh, spending time with our executive team, just kind of going through it on our own so that we could uh, uh, share it with you. And so, uh, so make sure that you do that today. But today, we're continuing our series, Life on Purpose. We're in week two of this series, and um, I hope that you're uh, digging into this series as much as I am. I feel like uh, living life on purpose is something that we all should be doing. I feel like this is what we were created to do, that God has a purpose and a plan for every one of our lives. And when we're walking with Him in purpose, um, we see fulfillment in our own lives. And so uh, so we're going to continue that conversation today. I just want you to know up front, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3 today. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles or your your, your uh, Bible, Version Bible app, uh, you're going to want to go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to take a big chunk of that scripture, uh, So just so you're uh, prepared for that later on. But growing up, so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about growing up, I always look forward to Friday nights. And, uh, and it was before TGI Fridays. Uh, it was long before that on TV, but we, uh, my family would all pile into the living room and we would watch television together. We kind of had this, uh, this um, routine uh, that what we would do is we would go to the mall and we would uh, walk around the mall and we'd have dinner at the mall, usually at the little food court at the mall, and then we'd come home and we'd pile in uh, the living room and we'd watch uh, television together. And yes, I know this is hard for some of you to believe, but we all watched the same TV show at the same time on the same TV. 
right? Like, so when I was growing up, we had one television in the house, and it was the one that we all gathered around in the family room and watched. And I know you're like, I can't believe that. Like, but that's what we did. We all watched the same TV show at the same time in the same uh, place or location. And so what we'd usually watch on Friday nights and early in the 80s, we'd watch Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, that came on, and then after that was The Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno, and so we'd watch The Incredible Hulk, and then after uh, The Incredible Hulk, I would uh, bore, I'd be bored to death, but my parents would watch Dallas and, and Who Shot JR, right? So that was what we watched and Friday night, and our TV looked something like this. Uh, you may have had one that looked a little bit like that too. It had two knobs, and it had like a power button uh, with it, and uh and, and if you wanted to uh, change the channels, you would have to turn those knobs, right? And like the knobs would often break on these TVs. And I don't know if you're about your TV, but we had like a pair of vice grips that would turn the channel because the knob would break. And so we'd have that vice grip and we'd use the little pliers to change the channels. And there was also no remote control. Like this was, we didn't have remote control. And so I was the remote control, right? And you may, your kids may resemble that too. And you may remember being the remote control too and change the channel. You didn't have a whole lot of channels to change to, right? Like you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and then maybe sometimes you had an extra channel there that you could watch. And, uh, and so uh, there was also uh, this other thing that was really important. And uh, this TV doesn't show, but our TV had antennas. And, uh, and so when the picture got fuzzy, someone would have to get up and move the antennas to get a clearer picture. I was also that person. So not only did I have the responsibility of changing channels and being the remote control, but I also had the important job of moving the antennas around to get a clear picture when all you could see was fuzz, like that. And, uh, and so you may uh, remember those as well. It was such a great time to be alive uh, as a kid because not only did I get that job of remote control, but I got to turn that into a clear picture. And sometimes, and I just want you to think about this, sometimes in our lives, uh, we don't get a clear picture. We don't get a clear picture because just like the TV, uh, our antennas are pointing in the wrong direction. And, and so today, as we continue our series on Life on Purpose, my prayer is that we are focusing on the direction of Jesus. Like that's my hope and my prayer because, because if not, we don't have a clear picture because as we said last week, we said this, we said it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. And this is kind of our theme verse for the next few weeks. And I would, and just I want to invite us to say it out loud again. And we're going to do that each week. But let's just say this passage out loud together. You ready? One, two, three. It is in Christ that we find out and what we are living for. I just want to make sure you're with me on that. I didn't hear anything. So let's just do it one more time. Let's do it with a little more gusto, like we believe it. Uh, let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Read. It is in. Yeah, so this is the whole thing about living life on purpose. It's in Christ that we find out who we are, and it's in Christ that we find out what we are living for. And you see, this is where we need to be pointing. This is where our antennas need to be pointing, and this is where we need to focus. This is where our focus needs to be. It needs to be on Jesus. And if we focus on him, we get a clear picture. And we focus on him, the static goes away. And I don't know if you know what they called or remember what they call that static. Uh, my dad would call it a polar bear in a snowstorm. That's what he called it. But it was called noise. It was called noise. And, uh, and they still call it noise. And how many of you all would say that you have some noise in your lives that block you from hearing God's purposes for your lives? Anyone else got some noise in your life? So I'm like not the only one. I feel good about that. And, uh, and noise causes us to get this unclear picture of God's plan. And here's what happens when we have noise in our lives that we end up walking around hoping and praying that we're going in the right direction. And Jesus is saying the whole time, he's saying, listen, if you would just focus on me, I'll help you along the way. Like you don't have to live your life in noise or with noise. If you'll just lean on me, if you'll just trust in me, if you'll follow me, if you'll point your antennas in my direction, then you will find clarity rather than noise. In fact, Jesus calls himself in the scriptures and the Bible, he calls himself the good shepherd. And he's always leading, right? Like Jesus' responsibility is he's always leading, he's always guiding, and he's always providing. And he's leading us to a place that is going to be fulfilling 
our purposes. That's where he's leading us. And as a matter of fact, in John chapter 10, uh, he says this, Jesus talks about the good shepherd, but he also talks about the thief. And he says this, he says, I know my mission, but let me tell you the mission of the enemy. And here's what he says in John 10.10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief, the thief, the evil one, the one that we often call Satan, he comes to steal and kill and destroy God's plan and purposes for our lives. And last week we said that our purpose, or we defined our purpose as our unique contributions that only we can contribute or make in the world. That we were created uniquely, that we have this unique purpose that only we can accomplish in the world. And the enemy The enemy's mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy that purpose. So Jesus says, listen, there's a thief and he's going to try and steal, kill and destroy. But here's my purpose. Jesus goes on and the rest of John 10, 10, he says, but I, I have come that they being you, that they may have life and have it to the full. And so when it comes to your purpose, Are you living life to the fullest? Like, are you living a rich and satisfying life or are you going through life with this unclear, fuzzy picture, with all the noise, hoping and praying that someday you can see what God has for you? Are you living life to the fullest? Are you living life with noise? And it's my desire and it's my hope and it's Warehouse Church's desire and Warehouse Church's hope that we would all experience this rich and satisfying life living with Christ and walking in our purpose. Like we believe that transformation, if it's going to happen in your life, that transformation leads to living a life on purpose. But the tragedy, the tragedy of life is that we spend so much time living without our purpose, that we spend so much time not even fully understanding what our purpose is. So today, today as we look at God's word, we're going to be figuring out how we experience this full life. Like like really living our best life as Christ would define it. Not as the world defines it and certainly not as social media defines it, but living our best life as God's word defines it for us. Now, if you were to search hashtag living my best life on social media, you'd find a ton of uh, pictures. If you went to Instagram and you searched it, you'd find a ton of pictures. And a lot of them would be, uh, curious to me, uh, a bunch of pictures of, of dogs. Some lazy dogs, some really cute dogs, some really ugly dogs. But you would find pictures of dogs on there and you would find a ton of pictures of people with really cut bodies like me. Oh, you're laughing. Ouch. That hurts. No, but you would find hashtag living my best life and you would find all these weird pictures. But, but that's, that's not what scripture tells us living our best life is. Like this is not God's definition of living my best life. Jesus would define living your best life as walking with him where you are and experiencing the fullness of all that he has for you. And you're walking in your purpose without noise or without distortion. So the Bible's definition of living your best life looks vastly different than the world's definition of living your best life. Now, does God like cute dogs? Probably. Does God like healthy living? Absolutely. Does God like even ugly dogs? Yes, he does. But that's not living your best life. Now, Paul really digs into this idea of walking in our purpose and understanding fully what God has for us in his letter to the Colossians. And like I said, we're going to spend some time in Colossians chapter 3. And and he wrote this letter, and he writes this letter to the Colossians because there was a group of believers. There was a group of believers in the church that were experiencing this noise that we're talking about. And and Colossae is in the western part of Asia. It's near Laodicea and Ephesus, which are common names that if you've been hanging around church, you've probably heard of both of them. It's kind of near modern-day Turkey, if you want to kind of put your brain on it. Modern-day Turkey. And there's this group of people here who believe in Jesus. And the whole reason that they believe in Jesus is because of this guy named Epaphras. And, And Epaphras followed Paul and went around telling people about Jesus and how his life 
was completely changed by this man named Jesus. And as he did, people started following Epaphras and started saying yes to Jesus, being freed from their past life and walking and beginning to walk in their purpose. But then others who walk into the church and they begin to start sharing and teaching these hollow and deceptive philosophies. And the people in the church who first were following Epaphras now start believing in these false things and they they start saying to themselves, oh, maybe this is how I'm supposed to live. And so Epaphras goes to Paul while he's in prison and and says to him, hey, you you remember those believers in in Colossae? You remember the people that started following Jesus? They're not living as they ought to. They're not walking in their purpose. And so Paul, who being who he is, immediately sits down and writes them a letter because that's what Paul does. He sits down and he writes them a letter. And he says the only way to combat false teachings and false theology is to write true theology. And that's what we're going to read today. We're going to read a result of that conversation that Paul had and the letter that he wrote to the church and to the people in Colossae. And so Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, says these words. It says, since... Then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, we've said that before, the right hand of God. And you might be thinking, oh, that's nice. Like Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. But if we look at that phrase through the eyes of an ancient Near Eastern person, rather than through our Western eyes, we would see that someone seated at God's right hand, that that's a big deal. That that was a massive, huge deal because in the tabernacle or in the temple, there were no seats because the work of a priest was never done. And so there was always another sacrifice to prepare for or there was always something else that needed to happen. So the priest would never sit down and they were always doing something. And this idea of sitting at the right hand of God the Father was a weird thing for them. But now we see that Paul says that Christ is seated at the right hand. And why is he sitting? Well, he's sitting because on the cross, Jesus said these three words. He said, it is finished. And there's no more work to be done. He completed the greatest work that needed to be done. And our job, as those down here, our job is to tell other people about the cross and the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so he's seated at the right hand because it's a place of honor, right? It's a place of honor and authority and privilege. And Paul also says that you've been raised with Christ. So focus on him. Why? Because he's got the best perspective. He's got the best perspective on everything. He has a perfect perspective. He has a better perspective than any politician. He has a better perspective than any CEO. He's got a better perspective than you and than me. Jesus has the perfect perspective and where the picture is always clear and where we should point our antenna to focus on him. And so Paul continues in verse two and he says, listen, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, there is so much going on in these four verses and more than I could ever unpack. I want to try and unpack some of it, but let me just give you the cliff note version. The cliff note version is this, that you now have a new life to walk in the perfect purpose and calling that God has for you. They just let that sink in for a minute, that as you say yes to Jesus, that you have a new life, a new life to walk in with. A new life to walk in the perfect purpose and calling that God has for your life. And because of this new life that we have in Christ, guess what? There's new realities, there are new implications, and there's new priorities. So wherever you are focusing, make sure that you are focusing on God and focusing on Jesus. You see... Here's the thing that we need to understand in living a life on purpose is this, that, we, that God must rule every one of our thoughts, that God must rule every one of our values that we have, every aspiration that we have, that it must be under the rule of God. 
And we must reorient our life toward him because it's a new life, right? That's why we talk about transformation here at Warehouse Church because we're reorienting our life towards Jesus. And Paul is sharing with us exactly what Jesus said long before in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he told everyone, he said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, when we point our antennas towards Christ, everything will be given that you will live a life and live it to the full. And why does it matter that we reorient our lives towards Jesus? Because here's what I know to be true is this, that we become what we look at. We become what we look at. When I was a kid and I was watching Dukes of Hazard on Friday nights, I wanted to be Luke Duke. Like I would, it would drive my parents nuts. I would try and slide across the hood of our car. It would make my dad so mad. Like when they were inside and they left the car unlocked, I'd roll the windows down and I would practice getting in and out of the car through the window, right? Because we become what we look at. We become what we see. And so let me just ask you this morning, where are your eyes? What are you focused on? Let's set our eyes on him. Paul said in verse two, he said, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Now hear me, we don't have to be so heaven bound that we're no earthly good. But while our feet are planted here on earth, our destination is always heaven. And while here we do whatever we can to make heaven crowded. That's all of our purpose. That whatever we do here, that we do it so that heaven might be crowded with people. C.S. Lewis, who once was an atheist turned Christian, said this, this word, he said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Our focus needs to be on Jesus because why? Because he has the perfect perspective. And so he also says, set your hearts. Paul said, set your hearts. And I want you to know that anytime you see the word heart in scripture, it's often talking about your soul. Like it's not talking about your organ. It's talking about your soul, everything that you are, the core of your being. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means trust in the Lord with everything that you are, the very core of who you are in Christ. And Paul doesn't mean set it once and forget it. Like the way that Paul uses the word or the phrase, set your hearts or your minds on things above, the way that he uses that is, is it's active. And so when he, he writes it in a way to mean keep on setting it. Like it's not like you set it on one day and forget about it, but you keep on setting it and then you keep on resetting it. And when you mess up again, you set it again. And even when you don't feel like it, you keep on setting your heart on things above. That it's something that we must constantly be doing, but it's hard, right? Like you're like, you're probably thinking like I was, but that's hard, Lord. Like it's hard when people are coming at me to set my heart on things above. Like I got some things I want to say to them and it's not from things above, but we must continue to set our hearts on things above. It's difficult when we don't feel like it. Well, I don't feel like doing it today, but the Lord would say, but keep setting your heart on me. It's not about a feeling. It's about a focus. And so set your heart on things above, no matter what it feels like, no matter what you've walked in or what you're walking through or where you've been, set your hearts on things above and you will walk fully in his purposes. And so even when we don't feel like it, we must set our heart on things above. And last week we talked about some of the obstacles, right? We talked about some of the obstacles of living our life on purpose. We talked about our past being an obstacle. We talked about people telling us that we're not good enough being an obstacle. And obstacles are, they're things that we can navigate around. Obstacles are things that we can go around, we can go over, we can go through. Well, oftentimes, it's easy for us to get around obstacles. But today, today I want to share with you in living our life on purpose, there's some roadblocks. There's also some roadblocks, and, and these are not just bumps in the road, but these are things that will stop us in our tracks. 
Like you've been a part of roadblocks before. We've seen them on 23 here a couple times just in the past month where the roads are shut down. Like there's no way around. You're on 23. You're stuck. It's a parking lot because there's a roadblock. And, and Paul says that there will be some roadblocks to living our life on purpose in Colossians. And he unpacks what some of those roadblocks are. You see, the thief cannot stop you from reaching Jesus, but he can stop you from living your life on purpose. And that's what the evil one loves to do, as he loves to keep us from living our life on purpose. He loves to create noise in our lives. And so Paul goes on and he tells the church at Colossae about these roadblocks. In verses 5 through 11, he starts off right away and he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death the white noise in your life. And he goes on, he gives us a list. He says, Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, this is not just a, this is not a list of don't do's because God doesn't want you to have fun in life. He's not like being the ultimate cosmic killjoy. But it's a list of don'ts so that we don't harm ourselves. That these are things that God knows will harm us and will take us off our purpose. It's just like you when you say to your, your child when they're small, don't touch the hot stove. Like it may, uh, we do that because we care about our child and we don't want them to get hurt. And the same thing is going on here. This list is for our own good. This list is basically my wants over God's will. Paul is sharing with us, here's some common my wants that we place over God's will. They're noisemakers, if you will. And God says, my will is for you to walk in my purposes. However, these wants are distorting the perfect picture that I have for you. And they will stop you in your tracks from walking into my perfect calling. And Paul's not done. He continues on in verse 6. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And we talked about the wrath of God last week. And so if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But in verse 7, it says, you used to walk in these ways. In your old life, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And here comes another list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So Paul gives us this, another list to add on to the one previous, and he says, listen, you got to get rid of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. And when I think about that, I think of like anger is when you pick out a pot in your kitchen and you fill it with water and you put it on the stove and you watch it start to boil. That's anger, right? Like the water in the pot is beginning to boil. And rage is when that pot starts to boil over. And malice is when you hope that someone gets hurt by what's in the pot. And slander is when you say, I didn't touch the pot. I didn't have anything to do with it. That was someone else. And the filthy language, well, that's when you touch the hot stove and you say, son of the most high God, right? <laughs> that's the filthy language. Paul's like, get rid of these things, eliminate them, remove them. And then in verse 9, he goes on and he says, listen, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And I wonder, well, why does Paul bring up lying here? Like, why is lying a part of it? I think because he calls, the, he calls Satan the father of all lies. And when we lie, we're not bearing the image of God, are we? Like when we lie, uh, we were created, all of us were created to be image bearers of God. And when we lie, uh, we uh, become image bearers of the father of all lies. And Jesus says, hey, that's not living your purpose. That when we are lying, we are not fulfilling our purpose, which is to be image bearers of the living God. And Paul goes on then in verse 11, and he says, listen, here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so get rid of all these things is what Paul says. And then he's like, and, and one more, 
He says one more thing, eliminate the division. He says, eliminate the division that I see because Jesus is in all and for all. And he says, Paul is saying, listen, we need to get rid of the divisiveness. He's like, there is, man is not above women, rich is not above poor, white is not above black, and so on and so on. There is no division. God looks at you and says, you are my child. There is no division. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Rick, but all of these things, that's not me, like sexual immorality, not me, greed, lust, not me. Listen, I would suggest to you and argue with you that we're all exposed to more immorality and more lust in one day than any previous generation were in a lifetime. That it is in our pockets, right? It is on social media. It's everywhere. We're exposed to it. And we think, well, that's not me. Well, if that's you, if you're thinking, well, that's not me, I'm not free from all that, well, you might be fooling yourself. And could it be could it be that if we are supposed to bear the image of God and if we are, to, are supposed to walk in his purposes, that there might be pieces of us that have kept us in bondage or kept us in noise and we either don't want to admit it or maybe we don't even realize that we're in it. And so I wonder what's got you captive. Like what has got you captive? No matter what your vices are, they never bring out the best in us. And Paul is telling us and telling the church at Colossae that we must eliminate them. Even if you don't do them very often, well, I only dabble in it every once in a while. It doesn't matter. Even if you do, don't do them very often, you have to eliminate them completely. And what the enemy does is the enemy loves to tell us a lie because the enemy knows if he can keep us off purpose, he's done his job. And so he tells us one of three lies. He starts, before we even step into the temptation, maybe we're looking at it, he says, you know what? Everyone's doing it. It's fine. Everybody does that. It's okay. Everybody cheats on their taxes a little. It's okay. Everybody looks at a little something, something that they shouldn't be looking. It's okay. Everyone's doing it. And then you fall into temptation or maybe you jump in with both feet and then comes lie number two. After you've done it, he says, do you realize how bad you are? Like, have you ever experienced that before? Like, you've fallen into temptation and immediately you're feeling the shame. Do you know how bad you are? Look how bad you are. God will never forgive you for that. God could never forgive you for that. But then you're saying back to the evil one, but you said everybody's doing it. And then comes lie number three. And lie number three is one that so many in our culture are living with, and it's this one. You'll never be free from that addiction. You'll never be free from that sin. You'll never be free from whatever it is you're caught in. You'll never be free. You'll never be able to stop it and God will never forgive you. But hey, it's okay because everybody's doing it. See, we have to eliminate these things in our lives because they're keeping us from walking in our purpose. And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Pastor Rick, I came here wanting to hear more about my purpose, but here's the deal. Until we are able to remove these things that hinder us, we will never be able to walk in God's purpose for our lives. And so it's the idea of putting to death the sin in our lives and keep on putting to death the sin in our lives. It's the idea of daily eliminating it, daily eradicating it, eradicating what is contaminating our hearts so that Christ can, can uh, occupy the depths of our hearts. And so if there's anything in our lives that says my wants over God's will, it's time to remove it from our lives. God's desire and purposes trump everything in our lives. It trumps everything. That's how we get to live life to the fullest. You eliminate the things that are killing you. You end them or they will end you. Like you just might want to write that down. End them or they will end you. And, and the second thing that we must do is we must cultivate the life-giving practices that will bring you into walking in your purposes. We must cultivate life-giving practices that are bring you. We can't just remove the vices, but we've got to put in some virtues or some practices. And so Paul says, listen, dump all that stuff and then walk in this new and better way. And then he doesn't 
make you guess what that is, he tells us in verse 12 what the better way is. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Paul's like, listen, those old clothes that you used to wear, they don't fit anymore. They don't look good on you. They got holes on them. They're ratty. They're too small. You need to get rid of them and put on these new clothes, these amazing clothes. You need to put on things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Because here's the deal. If you want to look your best, then you got to put on these things. And when you put on these clothes, when you walk into a room, Paul's like, you'll light the place up. Like, have you ever, like, you've probably been in a room where someone walked in the room and whatever it was that they were wearing, it was like, whoa, like they lit the room up. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. When we put on these virtues, when we put on compassion and kindness and patience and humility and gentleness, that we light the room up. And so let's, uh, you see, vices distort but virtues reveal. And we want to reveal what Christ has in us and has done for us and through us by walking in our purpose. And so we gotta put on these new clothes. And it's not just that we eliminate the things that we, that we, um, that we must also cultivate these life-giving practices. And Paul's like this, he's like, let the character of Christ be in you. How? Three words. You can write these down. They're not on the screen. Distance, discipline, and dependence. Distance, discipline, and dependence. You see, distance, we must put distance from the old life we used to have. We gotta distance ourselves from our old life. And we have to discipline ourselves to a place where we're focusing on Jesus. So we have to have discipline in our lives and focus on Jesus. And as he leads us, we have dependence on Christ and the people around us. So we're gonna distance ourselves from the old way of living. We're going to discipline ourselves to be focused on Christ. That's that whole point in the antennas on Jesus. And then we're also gonna learn to depend on Jesus every day and also learn to depend on one another in this room every day. And so we gotta have distance and discipline and dependence. Because here's the reality of that dependence thing. When we think about that, we're better together. I say that all the time and you're like, ah, here we go again, small groups. But no, we are better together. Look what Paul says in verse 13. He says, bear with each other. And bear, that word bear means endure. And so sometimes we gotta endure each other, right? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance, a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgave, forgave you. And so Paul's saying, listen, we're better together. We need to depend on one another because and we must bear with each other because we're all at different stages of this. Like some of us got a, a, a complete outfit. We've got our new duds on. We're all in. We've got a new coat. We've got a new jacket or a new, new pants and new shoes. But some of us, we haven't made it all the way. Like maybe we've got some, some old clothes still working on getting rid of those and getting on some new clothes of compassion. Or maybe we need some new clothes of gentleness. Or maybe we need some new clothes of thinking of others before ourselves. And so we're in, we're in different stages. And so Paul's like, listen, you got to bear with one another and forgive one another. We need to be patient. And we need to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. And so if the church can be anything, my prayer is that it would be a model of what the kingdom of heaven can truly look like. And to do that, we must bear with each other and forgive one another. We gotta learn to be patient with each other. If we're gonna live a life on, on, on purpose, we gotta do it together. And we're all in different places, and so we gotta be a willing to work with one another. And here's another thing that Paul says. He says, if we're going to live a life on purpose, there's one essential piece of clothing that everyone must have. There's one essential piece. And, and Paul says in verse 14, he says, and over all these virtues, over all the other virtues that he's talked about, over all of gentleness and compassion and humility, over everything, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect uni unity. Love is the essential piece of clothing uh, that brings the outfit all together. 
It is the, the pair of boots that reminds you that there's still work to do. It's, uh, love is the tie that you get with that tux that just makes that tuxedo pop. Uh, love is the beautiful pair of earrings that brings out your eyes and makes you light up the room. Love is the last piece of the outfit that you must have which binds them all together in unity. You see, love is what we need. Can we just say that together? Love is what we need. However, love is often the piece of the outfit that we are missing or forget so that we can be as compassionate as possible and as kind as we can be. And like Paul says in Corinthians, he says, listen, if you don't have love, you've got nothing. Without love, nothing else matters. We need love. It's the binding agent. It's like gluten to bread. Because without gluten, bread tends to crumble apart. Like if you eat gluten-free bread, and I'm not knocking gluten-free bread, I'm just saying if you eat it, it tends to crumble apart because gluten is that binding agent that keeps the bread together. And, uh, and so if you have the love of Christ in you, uh, it's love is that binding agent. And everything, uh, without it, everything crumbles or falls apart. And so here's what I would suggest to you. If you have the love of Christ in you, the peace of Christ will rule inside of you. And here Paul goes on in verse 15 and says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Because here's what the deal, Paul knows that peace characterizes how every relationship we have should look like. It should be centered around peace. And when it comes to walking in our purpose, we walk in peace. So if you're not sure where to start, if you're like, I don't know where to begin, start with peace and let the peace of Christ transform your life into gratitude and thankfulness. You see, peace unifies us and peace leads us to thanksgiving because when you are finally at peace, which is something that vices, though that, that negative list, they all promise peace. If you do this, you'll find peace. If you do that, you'll find peace. If you buy this, you'll find peace. They always overpromise, but under-deliver. They always provide the opposite of what they promise. But if you will live a life of peace, it will change everything about your life. And Paul goes on in verse 16, and he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This idea of dwelling, it, 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 it um, is that it truly makes a home in you, that Christ truly makes a home in you, and we all know that there's no place like home. And my hope is that Jesus would say to me the same that he would say to you and that Jesus would look at me and say, Rick, there is no place like your heart. That I have created a space where God can live, fully live. And when God is fully living in me, that I can fully live out my purpose here on earth. And when the message of Christ is dwelling in you, Paul says you can't help but sing. And I love this because I love worship. And Paul is basically saying when Christ dwells in you, you can't help but worship. That when Jesus is living in you, you can't help but lift your hands and surrender to the Lord. When Christ is dwelling in you, you can't help but lift your voice. Even though you may not be able to sing on key, it doesn't matter because your heart, because Christ is dwelling in you and it causes you to worship. It's a natural response to Christ dwelling in us. It's, it's, it's why this time of singing is so important because when Christ is dwelling in us, our natural response is to sing back to him. Now, you're probably thinking, whew, that's a lot, right? Like I got vices and I got virtues and I got Jesus making a home in my life and, and, and allowing him to dwell in me. But and you might be thinking, where do I start? Like, this is a whole bunch of stuff. What am I supposed to do next? Well, Paul tells us that too. He wraps it up in verse 17 and he says this, and he says, and whatever you do, and hear this church, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Just think about that for a minute. You may not know where to begin, but here's the beginning. Here's the starting line. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. How do I live my purpose in my life? Whatever you do, 
do it in the name of Jesus. But Rick, you don't understand. I'm a processor. It's a boring job. But whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. But Rick, I work at the DMV. Guess what? They need Jesus too. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. But I just pick up, I just pick up trash. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. And as you do, just say, Lord, I thank you that, that you go through my life and that you pick up my trash and remind me that I am fully clean and fully redeemed. So as I pick up this trash, whatever I do, I do it in the name of Jesus. So where do I start? Whatever I do, do it in the name of Jesus. If we are to live a life on purpose, it begins by dumping our vices in our lives, the vices that are creating noise in us and adopting or putting on the virtues that create peace and thanksgiving by finally allowing Christ to dwell in your hearts. See, if we're gonna live a life on purpose, that's where we gotta start. What are the virtues? What are the noisemakers in your life that are hindering you from living a life on purpose? What are some of those virtues that maybe you need to grab a hold of? Is it gentleness? Is it patience? Is it kindness? Is it compassion? And most of all, are you creating a space within your life where Christ might dwell inside of you? Because there's no place like home. No place. So this morning, let me just invite you to consider the noise in your life. What are some things that you need to eliminate? What are some new clothes that you need to put on? some of those virtues that you might be lacking. And as we worship in just a moment, how might you create this amazing space where Christ wants to dwell in you? Because he can't dwell in sin. about we create that space it's time to fluff the pillows it's time to dust the area it's time to get rid of the cobwebs and create this amazing space where Christ dwells in us would you pray with me Father God I thank you Lord for the wisdom that Paul shares with us in this letter to this church that was struggling with noise Paul simply puts together these instructions on how to eliminate the noise and live a life on purpose. He reminds us of the vices, the things that we choose over God's will for our lives. Things like greed and sexual immorality, addictions. He says, hey, you gotta get rid of anger and malice got to be able to forgive. You got to live a life of compassion and gentleness and patience and kindness. And most importantly, Paul says, listen, create a space in your heart, the core of your being, where Jesus wants to dwell in us. wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ, his mission is for us to live a life and live it to its fullest. So I invite you right now, wherever you're at, maybe it's time to dump some of those vices. Maybe it's time to clothe yourself in some of those virtues. Maybe there's some stuff inside of you that you've been holding on to that is keeping
keeping Jesus from dwelling inside of you. for forgiveness and remember that we must set our hearts on him not just now but every day every day this is not a one and done it's an everyday thing and if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus listen I get it I understand that you probably are feeling hopeless you're feeling like the white noise has taken over and there's no focusing on anything else that you haven't seen a clear picture in a long time but I want you to hear today that Jesus is always the answer he gives us hope when we're hopeless he gives us joy in the midst of our grief my invitation to you is to say yes to him today. It's simple. Jesus, I came into this room without you, but I want to leave this room with you. And so I invite you into my heart, the core of my being, my soul. Would you come and take up residence there? Would you help me to get rid of the vices and add the virtues and create a space where you can well in me. Come, Jesus. Rule my life. Lead me. Be the good shepherd. That's all you have to say. Come be the good shepherd, Lord. Father, I thank you for creating this space in us today. as we get ready to leave today we're going to sing because remember when Christ dwells in us our natural response is to worship him so I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet and sing with us our closing song and as we do uh, if you would like to come and spend time uh, in prayer up front here we would love for you to do that our space is your space Uh, if you want someone to pray with you I invite you to just grab someone next to you to come pray with you Uh, if you want me to pray with you I'm right on the front row I'd be honored to pray with you but uh, make this space your space. But let's sing together as a response to the dwelling of Christ in our hearts.